I'm a big believer in progress over perfection, and I also don't like stagnation. But that kind of has to do with if you do something once, then you can't do the exact same thing again. You kind of got to one-up that a little bit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Design Her Travel podcast. I'm your host, Kim Anderson. As an avid traveler, global nomad, and someone who considers themselves a citizen of the world, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. My hope in creating this podcast is to inspire you to take the leap of faith and to design the life of your dreams. For me, that includes connecting with like-minded individuals and creating a community of souls living their best lives out, in, and around the world. Each week, you'll hear stories and conversations from fellow travelers who have figured out how to incorporate travel as a key component in their daily lives. Their stories are beautiful and inspiring, just like you. I can't wait to go on this journey with you. So let's do this. Here we go. Jason Robinson is the creator of the blog, The Nomad Experiment, and the author of two books, The Beginner Traveler's Guide to Going Nomad and a 52 Hike Hiking Logbook and Journal Diabetes Edition. Jason is a master experimenter in life. He's a self-professed borderline addict to the ideas of self-improvement, lifelong learning, and progress through positively directed love. He is an amazing example of someone who continuously chooses bravery over fear, and in doing so has gone from living a life that is normal to nomad with all of the beautiful and messy parts in between. He is such an inspiration to anyone that harbors a dream so big that it's both terrifying and exhilarating. I think you'll find lots of inspiration in our conversation today. And so without further ado, Jason Robinson. All right, Jason, I am really happy to do this today. I've been looking forward to this. I've been inspired reading your blog and going through your website, and you have some really good information that I'm excited to delve into. But would you tell, like to tell people where you are in the world? I am currently in Oaxaca, Mexico. been here for about a week, set up in a co-living facility, which to those uninitiated, a co-living is kind of like a cross between a hostel and a co-working space. So a lot of times when you go to a city, you would have to go to a separate co-working space to get work done. And then you stay in a different accommodation. This is kind of all baked into one. So there's 30 or 40 people living here and all of us have been working all day long. And now it's a 540 here and I'm doing a podcast interview and everybody else is getting ready to play. Nice. And are those, I would imagine, are a little more prominent popping up around the world? Is that, are you finding more and more of those? Yes and no. They are popping up more and more, but prominent, I would not say that. And there are so many different flavors. And, you know, for me, community is a big thing. You know, I need to have friends, even if they're new friends. I have to have that or else things start to break down for me. So a lot of co-living facilities or even a lot of hostels and things like that, they don't have great community. This one has great community. And there's a few around that I've been hearing about that have really great community that you can plug right into 
So there are plenty of them popping up, but you need to be specific about what you're looking for. And is there a specific website or an app kind of like in the hostel world? You can find a lot of these on hostel world, but just Googling co-living in a country and you'll probably start to see them and then look at Google reviews, look at all that stuff, look at two or three review sites, see what people are saying. That's usually how I go about it. Yeah. And so your evolution of stepping into the world of being a digital nomad is really interesting for a number of reasons. And one of those is, and as you and I talked about a little bit, sometimes there are these preconceived notions about what a digital nomad is, what type of person that is. And sometimes people think that's a person straight out of university or a person that maybe is already retired. But for you, you hadn't really done a whole lot of travel to start with. And so can you walk people through your process of how you went from a person in your 30s and visiting three countries in the world to being a person that's completely nomadic at this point? So, yeah, you mentioned the other day when we were were talking, I think you said most people think digital nomads are either in their 20s or have millions. <laughs> and it just made me yeah. laugh out loud because, because I didn't even really think about it that, that way. But but it's true. I think, you know, the whole keeping up with the Joneses or white picket fence thing that we do in the U.S. or, you know, other countries, typically when you get into your 30s or 40s, you're kind of on the track that you're going down. So let me let me give the quick recap of, of some of the, the higher points the past few years and the changes. And then obviously you'll dive into some of those things. So I learned the term location independent like 15 years ago. Didn't know what it was, but that's when I remember hearing it. So I I started learning about these bloggers and people that were living around the world, working around the world back 15 years ago. But it took until about six years ago that I could, that I finally said, I've had enough. I need to go see this thing about travel. So it was, it was roughly back in about six years ago that I started traveling significantly and just about my 40th birthday, I took my my first one-way ticket to Mexico. And I had done some I had done some work up to this point, but it was mostly domestically because up until that point, I had only seen the US, Canada, and London, England. So I was 40 years old, and those that's what I had seen <laughs> so far. So I had I had challenged my comfort zone by traveling domestically just to to get what solo travel is and try some hostels and 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 get that feeling under my belt. And then went to Mexico because I was like, you know, if you want to be a digital nomad, you should probably give this a try. So let's buy one week ticket and see how long I can stay in Mexico. That that should be super comfortable. And I ended up going, <laughs> going about 21 days and I did enjoy it. And I was actually doing a lot of work while I was on that trip. And so, yeah, you know, from there, it was a matter of I had, I had beaten the conjecture. I had thought, okay, I want to do this thing, but I had never actually tried it. So at that point, it was like, okay, this is cool. I like this. How do I get there? And I kept minimizing everything. Essentially, early 2019, I said, I've had enough. My comfort zone was no longer when I went home. It was when I was traveling. Whereas at the beginning of my experiments, it was, I'm out traveling and I just wanted to go home because I was freaked out. I was scared. I had never done this stuff before, especially by myself. And after two or three years, it had flipped. So that's when I decided to sell my house. So I sold my house and all my belongings in May of 2019. And then maybe people remember in... March of 2020, COVID hit. I happened to be in Cadetro, Mexico for two months. This was my first true, like, 
digital nomad, hunker down in one place for a couple of months and just live and be and work and experience the people in the place. And at the end of that, COVID sent me back home for 18 months. Eight months later, in October, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So lots of life shakeups and then life threw that at me and type 1 diabetes. We can dive into that if you want. But that kind of took me a year to figure out. And then travel started opening back up. Went to Portugal for three months. Last year, I was in Spain and Cap Verde, Africa for three months. <clears throat> and now this year is getting back to what I thought it was going to be, which is I want to be outside the U.S. about you know seven or eight months a year and experiencing other places and slow to answer your question, slow travel is my jam at least a month or two in a place that allows me just to immerse myself and just be, and just enjoy kind of feel what the place is like, not rush around and feel like I have to get to everything. It's just a matter of planting myself somewhere. Life goes on. I still have to work. I still have to make the ends meet. And yeah, so there's the long answer. Now we can dive into some of those bits. Yeah. And I love I think that sometimes is a misconception as well when people think about digital nomads or location independent individuals, they almost reference a holiday in their mind or a vacation. And so they they envision someone continuously moving around. And some people do do that. They move very quickly. But if this is a lifestyle, you're doing it to immerse yourself and to be in a culture and to learn about new places and to learn about yourself along the way. So I think that the more people hear from location independent individuals that recognize, Hey, I'm not changing every single week, going to a new place. You know, I'm, you're basing yourself somewhere and then really absorbing the space that you're in. So it is a beautiful way to see the world. You, you learn a lot more than when you just fly by in a night or two. Um, so one of the things that I love on your Instagram account is you are Jason Robinson dream pusher. And I love that term. And you've said in your writings that you're a borderline addict to the ideas of self-improvement, lifetime learning, and progress through positively directed tough love. And so that says a lot about your character and your ability to step into the bravery that it takes to make such a dramatic life change when you're in your late 30s and early 40s. And so what do you think makes you different or allowed you to have that bravery in the face of so much fear? How did you find the bravery within yourself to live this life that you dreamed about? It makes me terribly uncomfortable if people call me brave like three times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what's interesting because you, know, you and I talked before we started recording that you know, this all scares the shit out of me on a daily basis, like traveling with so many medical conditions and so many issues that could go wrong. I had somebody ask me the other day, oh, you just got diagnosed with type one. I got diagnosed at age 42, which most people listening to this probably still think of type one as, as juvenile diabetes. But actually now the majority of people getting diagnosed with type one are over the age of 18 years old. So somebody asked me the other day, oh, now that you got a diagnosis, are you going to go back to the U.S. and, you know, kind of go back to your old life? And I'm like, I mean, it just hit me like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not even an option. So, you know, to answer your question, I think I've always have a great history of people in my life that told me to do what I was comfortable doing. 
And I think from that stem, the you're going to figure it out. I'm a very analytical person. So I think everything is figure outable. So it's just a matter of putting in the time. So, you know, whenever I was younger, my mom said, hey, if you like doing this thing, do this thing. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm like cross stitching things and I'm in the choir and I'm also a varsity baseball player and doing all of these things that cross what would have been back then a, a, a divided spectrum of male, female things. For me, it was like, I just enjoy doing these things. So I'm going to do them. And people used to make fun of me for that. And I'd look at them like, you're a weirdo for making fun of me for just doing something that I want to do. So again, a lot of that stuff was baked in whenever I was younger. And then, you know, whenever I was in my thirties, essentially what happened was I've been self-employed since I was 28 years old. So I was a contractor, a freelancer, and, but I was location dependent. My, a lot of my clients wanted me to be in a place. And I was taking these contracts that were like five year contracts with giant airports. And I was the guy that was in the place on this big team. And those contracts would cycle. So I'd have a five-year contract and then like three years in, I'd get this other five-year contract and then a couple of years in. So this is layering and I couldn't get out of it. But I remember one time I saw an opening and and I don't know the the analogy for this, but there's like, you see the, you see the, the sunlight out the door and then you get scared and you run back in. You're like, nope, I'm safe in here. And I went back to it. And five years after that, I had another opening and I actually had my two architects call me at the same day and they were going to bid the same project and they wanted me on each of their teams, which meant I was going to get this 10-year contract. There was no way I wasn't going to. And I had to tell them, you know what? I need to change my life. This is, something's going to change <laughs> and I got to figure it out. So from that point forward, it was a matter of rebuilding and just figuring things out. I know you know, financially what I need to live. And it's not very much, honestly, you know, whenever you don't have a lot of the strings that a lot of people have in the U.S. or debt, you know, I worked my way out of $50,000 in debt when between 28 and 32. So I've lived debt free since then. And I don't make a lot of money, but that's also an important facet that I'm trying to help people with. But yeah, it's really a matter of trying to figure it out going and doing the thing as much as your comfort zone will allow you and then taking a step back and then the next time going a little bit further and a little bit further. And it, that's when the whole nomad experiment thing was born. When I was talking to my mom once and I said, you know, this, my old website was called the Digi digital nomad and it was spelled all wonky because I couldn't buy the address. And I said, it's, I'm not <laughs> even a digital nomad. How can I write to this audience about digital nomadism? And I don't even know what this is. I was like, it's more like an experiment. It's like a nomad experiment. And all of a sudden, you know, these bells went off in my head because as an analytical person that wants to check the boxes and have everything in order, to view things as an experiment is very liberating. So from that day, five or six years ago, I said, oh, this is way easier now. I can just look at people around me and say, yeah, I'm going to go to Mexico for a few weeks. That might scare you, but for me, it's just an experiment. I'll see what happens and then I'll come back. And that has allowed me to, to just go further and further and further and, and figure things out. I love that. The reframe, it's a good tool in life when you can find that. It's like the magic, the key, the, the little magic key. One of the things that I found really interesting, and you mentioned that you're extremely analytical. So what I loved that you went through the process of, what did you say? Force yourself not to sleep in your own bed. So you kind of allowed yourself to have training wheels, you know, like, how am I going to do this thing? And so can you explain to people what you did? And yeah, can you just explain to people what that is? So I'm a big believer in progress over perfection. And I also don't like stagnation. So 
that might make sense, but that kind of has to do with if you do something once, then you can't do the exact same thing again. You kind of got to up one up that a little bit. So back in the beginning of this, I guess it was five years ago, 20, I'm looking at it right now, 2018, uh, actually 2017, I made a decision because my comfort zone was my home. I had a nice, small three-bedroom home in Charlotte, North Carolina, my backyard with my little fire pit that, with my plants, and that was my happy place. But I said, okay, if you're doing this thing and you just got rid of half your income and your clients, you're going to figure this out as quickly as possible. So how are you going to do that? And I chose to give myself a challenge not to sleep in my bed, in my home for one quarter of the year. And that equated to 92 days-ish in that first year in 2017. And I accomplished that. And I did that through, you know, maybe it was just staying over the night at friends' houses or going, you know, to family out of town or going to stay with friends for two or three weeks. Or maybe it was traveling to Mexico or another country. Back then, I wasn't doing a lot of international travel still. So it was a bit of a challenge. So I, I accomplished that at the, beginning, at the end of that year. And then I was like, well, now what are you going to do? Because you can't do 92 days again because that's just stagnation. So I said, well, let's do a third of the year. So in 2018, I was gone 122. Actually, I was gone 122 would have given me a third, but I think I was gone like 129. Like it was easy. <laughs> at that and, and, you know, at the end of that, that was where I had that epiphany that there was more stress going back home than there was whenever I was on the road. And I was more alive and engaged and productive in all of those things whenever I was traveling as opposed to whenever I went back home and there became this sedentary thing that always sets back in for me whenever I go, you know, sit in one place in the U S. So yeah, those were the, the two experiments. And, and when I got back to my home at, at the end of that second one, I was also up against my roof needing replaced and my HVAC unit being replaced on a house that I bought for $90,000. And the bill on those repairs alone was going to be like 30,000. And I said, you know, I don't want to pay for all this silly stuff by myself. <laughs> I'm single. I don't have somebody helping me out with this. And I was like, I just don't want to do that. I have better options. And that's when I was like, you know what? I don't want this house anymore. Let's, let's go see what the next chapter is. And I always, you know, people ask me if I regret selling that or, you know, do I ever wish that I still had that house? And this is where I think a mindset shift is helpful for, for me and hopefully other people is most of the things you've already done, you can do again. You may quit a job and go back to that job and have to beg for your job back and get a pay cut. But as long as you're not burning bridges, more than likely you have that option. If you sell a home, heck, you could go buy that home from that person you sold it to. They're probably going to charge it a little bit more. But if you really want that one thing, you can go back to it. So I've always kind of realized that, you know, a lot of this stuff, if I do really need to or want to do it again or have the same thing, I've already done it once, so I can probably figure out how to do it again. So I think that might be helpful for people to realize, you know, if you're a good person and you do what you say when you're going to, you say you're going to do it, you're already in the upper echelon of people that are going to have some options as far as jobs and things like that goes. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Be good and do good, right? Um, and it's a great perspective to know that life is in beta. It's not set in stone you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn, you're going to adapt, you're going to evolve, whether it's your lifestyle or your thinking or your process in life in general. So being open to learning about yourself, 
to accepting the situation right now and living in that moment, I think is, is pretty key. And I think that's probably almost like a common denominator around people that have chosen to live like a life less ordinary, you know, like you live for that moment. And so it creates so much freedom to be able to, to do that. So there's another thing there is what I thought I had back whenever I had a home and all these things was security. And everybody thinks that they have security. They have that safety and they have all these things. And that is such an illusion. You know, it it just is, especially for me speaking to U.S. citizens with the financial things that can happen or medical things that can happen. The idea that you're on cruise control, if you manage to be on cruise control for 20 or 30 years, more power to you. But the likelihood is you're not going to be. So just embrace the fact that things are going to change and go ahead and do it. Do it for change. Like say, all right, before change gets me, I'm just going to go ahead and do it so that I know how to flex and shift and move and stuff like that. Because the more you get comfortable, the bigger those changes feel whenever they do happen. So the more often you can do them, the more you're like, you know what, this is cool. Let me shift a little bit here, shift a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like if you've just gone years without taking care of your physical body and then you're like, oh, I'm going to try and exercise or I want to lose weight or do any of those things. It feels overwhelming for the simple fact it's a monumental hurdle to overcome five, six, 10, 15 years of stagnation as opposed to just taking little baby steps on a continuous plane. So it does make things a little bit easier. And so since we've already kind of touched base on your diabetes, on your diabetes, can you walk people through some of the things, obviously you now have new things to consider when moving about the world. I, is that you need insulin on a regular basis? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so can you, because health is always a big issue for people and especially Americans who most of the time believe they have the best health care. So whether that's true or not is up for debate. But can you let people know what, how your life changed and what you do traveling internationally with this and things that they may or may not have considered? So, yes, I think we do have great healthcare services in the United States. The cost and, and some of those things are the things that make it that much more unattainable for so many people. And and for somebody like me that is lucky enough to have good health insurance, it's quite helpful in this situation for sure. So let me back it up just for the the diabetes 101. Most people know what type 2 diabetes is. Type 2 diabetes is an insulin resistance. Their body makes insulin, their pancreas makes insulin, but their cells don't listen to it when it knocks on the door and says, hey, I got this energy, let me in. So what happens is somebody with type 2 diabetes might have to get some extra insulin so that they have more knocking on the doors of their cells, or they need to change their lifestyle and do some of those things. And that's also a genetic background. So that's type 2 diabetes. Type 1 is my pancreas got attacked by my, it's an autoimmune disease. So my pancreas got attacked by my autoimmune system, and it no longer makes any insulin. So for me to process energy, I have to have insulin. So therefore I have to, I'm an insulin dependent diabetic. I am currently on an insulin pump. It gives me insulin 24 hours a day, tiny doses. And then whenever I eat, I need to say, Hey, I'm eating this much food that therefore I need this much extra insulin. And that's how that works. Lots of complicated things in there. It's literally a 24 seven 
mental onslaught. Some people more tough than others because there's no type one diabetic that has the same deal as the person next to them. So that said, for the first year, I managed it manually. I used insulin pens and I pricked my fingers, you know, seven or eight times a day. And, you know, I wanted to learn what that diabetes was doing to me and how my body reacted and kind of figure out how to drive the manual transmission before I switched to the automatic transmission. Let's put it that way. So then a year ago, I got on an insulin pump. So now, yeah, I travel with, so for those, for those that are, that are watching the video, I travel with, for this, for these eight weeks that I'm here, I have 20 infusion sets, 20, yeah, 20 infusion sets that I change every three days, along with an insulin pump cartridge that I change every three days and a syringe that helps me do that. And Dexcom G6s that I change every 10 days. And then I have a large insulin cooler that I have to travel that keeps my insulin cold whenever I'm on airplanes or traveling here and there. There's quite a bit of extra stuff. I actually just posted a reel on Instagram that, that shows everything that I just went through the U.S. airports and the Mexico airports with and, and made it here to Oaxaca. So, yeah, you know, everybody says that socialized healthcare across the world in Canada or in you know other countries over in Europe and beyond is, <clears throat> let me rephrase that, a lot of digital nomads and a lot of travelers say, oh, I don't need U.S. healthcare. I'm, I'm a traveler. I'm just going to get it in whatever country I'm in. I call bullshit on that. If you are traveling at all, period, end of story, get travel medical insurance. It is extremely inexpensive. I do not go home, leave home without it. And what it does is it gives you an advocate that helps you when you do have a problem. And you don't have to have a health you don't have to have a health problem that, that starts inside your body. You could be walking across a cobblestone street and a, a scooter hits you in Mexico. You, you never saw it coming, but now you need medical care. And what a lot of these travel medical insurances are doing is they're giving you an interim. They have an app. They have somebody that you can call that speaks English and says, yes, we have somebody in network in that area that speaks English. So I know that there's, you know, for instance, here, there's a hospital right down the road. My travel medical insurance works with them and there is an English speaking doctor there so that if I have an emergency, I can speak, I can connect the dots and connect with somebody. I actually had to use my insurance when I was in Spain recently because I ran out of insulin like three days before my trip was over. The other thing is evacuation insurance. They're different and they serve different purposes. But if you got an embolism and you needed to get back to the United States, well, you're going to need care on the ground in wherever you're at, but then you're also going to need to be evacuated to get back to the U.S. And that's those two are those are two different things. So, so again, back to that whole making backup plans for my backup plans. First of all, I'm planning on things not going wrong. Second, if they go wrong, here's maybe my plan. And if that plan doesn't work, what's the next plan? That sounds like I'm really organized, but just like most people that are quasi organized, like, you know, enough going into it. You're like, I know enough and I'm going to be fine. I'll figure it out whenever shit hits the fan. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I usually travel carry on only. And now one third of my carry on is, is diabetes gear at the beginning of the trip. And then by the end of the trip, that's all used up and I can bring home a new shirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> can you get your insulin all around the world or is it, you know, U.S. products or U.S. pharmaceuticals or I know there's different, there so, must be different types, but availability is probably a little different. Well, actually, most of our insulin is not made in the U.S. A lot of it is made in Germany or in Europe. There's quite a few countries that make the different flavors of insulin, if you will. So, 
yes, the insulin that I have from the U.S. is named something different everywhere around the world. Literally, our U.S. brand name is the one that I'm talking about is Novolog. Around the world, it's Novo Rapid. So whenever I needed Novolog in Spain, I actually had to go to a hospital, get them to write me a prescription. I have pronounced that I travel with of all of my prescriptions for my doctors. So they essentially wrote me a prescription for exactly what my U.S. prescription was. And when I went to the pharmacy, they wouldn't give it to me because they don't have Novolog. They have Novo Rapid. And it's the exact uh-huh. same thing. And I had to convince them, like I was pulling up websites and being like, no, this is the exact same insulin. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the answer to your question, yes, I can get these things around the world. But I guess what I want the the listeners to understand is most of the drugs you're taking are named something different outside the U.S. If you're close to the U.S., there's a likelihood you're going to you're going to not have an issue there. But another thing that a good travel medical insurance will do is they'll have medical equivalents for prescriptions. So if I pull up my app, I can actually put in, I'm on five different drugs. I have my diabetes. I also have a heart condition and a kidney condition. So if for some reason I'm going through an airport and they decide to confiscate all my stuff, I'm going to have to figure it out. And and finding out what the medical equivalents of those things are is something that a lot of travel medical insurances will do. And I have access to that in my app. So I can literally go in and do that research myself and at least know ahead of time that if I'm going to be in a country for three months, if I need these things, this is what it's going to be called and save myself some steps. Yeah, that's really great because uh, certain countries have different limits on what you can bring in, what you can't, regardless of, you know, doctor's notes or whatever. So it's really great that the medical world has created this type of insurance and the and apps where you can look everything up. That's really good. I think the AiriVac is something not everyone. I think it's starting to be a, a little more known, especially in the United States. That is separate. People didn't realize back in the day when you just got a regular sort of travel insurance, it might be great. But if you're stuck in the Congo, you're not getting out of there, you know, without paying yeah. an extra fee. So it's good. I'm not sure. I know that there are other companies that have that, but the U.S. has a few good companies that can provide that. So it's really awesome. One thing I am interested to know is because you are interested in self-development, personal growth, and just your evolution of as a human in general and bettering yourself. What are some of the current ways or practices that you have that are pushing your growth and your boundaries at the moment? So obviously the most important one is merely going to new places with new people, with new languages and new cultures and traditions and everything. Literally back at the beginning of this one thing that I didn't mention it's in my first book, is I didn't want to grow into a grumpy old man with secondhand perceptions of the world. And I hang by that statement still because so much of the, what I had learned up until 35 years old was literally based on other people's ideas. It was the media, it was politics, it was posters and movies and uh, <laughs> movies. I mean, most of our movies that have action in them are usually using somebody from outside the U.S. as the bad guy and and really kind of not not representing other places in a great light. And I finally realized I'm like, I don't want to have my beliefs not be my beliefs. So that was the impetus to me saying I'm going to travel for a long time if I like it and learn from other people. So, you know, first and foremost, I do try to speak the language, at least conversationally, whenever I go to a place. So I have 
some documents that I print out with me with with specific things, uh, what to say, how to say it. And there's obviously apps for those things, but sometimes it's easier to study printouts and stuff like that. So reading a lot of books, I was talking to a friend the other day that actually one of the reasons that I was excited to hear from you on this podcast is, you know, the name of the podcast is, is Design Her Travel Podcast. And I saw that and I was like, well, that's nice that they contacted me for that because I think that anybody's story is important. And while I understand that there's there's an, an equality imbalance that we're that we need to fix, I learn a lot from women. I read a lot of books that are written for women by women because that's part of me trying to be a better man is, you know, why wouldn't I go to the source to understand, you know, things that I don't understand. So that's one of the things is, is I read a lot of books by people that, that don't look and talk and act like me. So whether those be, you know, social injustice books or, you know, books by women about women, a lot of that stuff is, is required reading for me and rereading. There's actually some lists of books on my website that, that I recommend people read. I'm actually doing an article that I need to get back to that's books that I think every man should read <laughs> that, that kind of yeah. fits this bill. So it's a lot of that. It's a lot of goals for each month to say, what are you doing to push yourself a little bit more this month or to continue to push yourself a little bit more this month? But, you know, the travel can be overwhelming because of so many moving parts. And I think, you know, maybe to give myself some grace, but also to give everybody listening here some graces, keep doing the work, keep improving, but understand that life takes up a lot of your time. So find the space to do that. Find the space to continue improving on a monthly, weekly basis. But we're not going to be able to reprogram ourselves immediately or anytime soon. And with the world continuing to change, there's going to be needs to continue to evolve, as you mentioned, and to continue to learn. So go back and reread the things you read a few years ago and see how they play into your life today. What I'll say is I'm wildly imperfect. And my goal is to is to just get better each day. I'm never going to be great, but just get a little better every day, get a little better every day. And I think that's a goal that everybody should have is I'm writing a new book right now. And one of the it's a financial book that kind of reflects back to whenever I, you know, got out of fifty thousand dollars in debt, and I want to help other people do that. And it, it, one of the lines in the intro chapter is, <laughs> "You're probably telling yourself that that you're not great at your finances, and I'm, I don't care if you're great at your finances. I want you to be better at your finances. And if you can just be better at things than you were yesterday, then you're going in the right direction. So that's kind of the mantra I try and live by is." just get a little bit better <laughs> and keep doing that. I think that's fantastic. And it is also part, I feel like part of the process when you go from sort of not living a conscious life to living an intentional life that you realize there are always things to learn and ways to be better. And so it's part of just being intentional with your living Going back to your books, I wanted to touch on that. You have two or three published books at the moment. I have one published book and another one is a journal for people that love to hike, but are also type one diabetics, which creates a lot of complications. So I saw that I needed something and I said, well, let me design this for other people that love to hike and be in the outdoors that also have the complications of type one diabetes. So those two are in existence right now and I'm working on the, another book right now. That's awesome. I love that. And I had to look through some of them just online and I love, they're so fun to look at and they're so engaging and easy to read. I was like, these are great. It's like mind candy and visual aspect, but knowing that you are a design, you have a career in design. I was like, oh, now that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But so 
have you always been a writer? Is this something that came up in your chosen lifestyle? And is was it part of the process when you started? Did you kind of envision doing this type of work and writing books and creating a business aside? Was this all part of the plan? I would say no, it's not. It wasn't part of the plan. I knew I've always enjoyed words. I've always enjoyed putting them together in a way, but I never was a writer. Most of the writing happens in my head. Like I'm so always, I mean, there's a lot of people talking up in my head. So <laughs> you know, there's a lot of writing and rewriting going on in my head. And eventually, so what happened was essentially I saw, okay, what do you do when you want to travel the world and, and make a living doing it? You start a blog. Every, I think everybody has started a blog at some point, probably multiple. I think I have a few under my belt, but you know, that started back with number one, the idea that I am an analytical and an artistic sided brain. I'm not like one or the other. So I know that I have a skill in putting things together in a way that are visually and uh, verbally helpful to other people. And I can put concepts together and things like that. So it was a matter of saying, okay, if I'm doing all these things and they're helpful for me to, to kind of think about it this way, then hopefully they'll be helpful to other people. And at the end of the day, that's everything I write. I, I want it to be helpful for somebody else to follow, to, to, to solve a problem. And so essentially back when I started, you know, the nomad experiment, I was writing about those things. And over the course of three or four years, there were these common threads that came about and it was all about, you know, overcoming these hurdles because I was overcoming those hurdles. I was figuring out how to travel on my own. I was figuring out how to go to another country. I was figuring out travel, medical insurance and money and all these different things. And when I looked back over, you know, five years, I said, wait a second, there's, there's something here. And it's, it's a, it's a guidebook for somebody else that wants to do this thing. Spoiler alert, it's also a guidebook for me because I need to go back and reread it regularly. I still do stupid stuff. You, you, you don't learn it. You just, you learn it and then you forget it and then you relearn it and you realize, <laughs> you know, oh, oh shit, I knew better than this, but all of a sudden I forgot. So, you know, it was kind of a, how do I make this for somebody else? But how do I also kind of put my own thoughts down on the paper so where I don't forget them or they're helpful for me down the road? And it's, it's gone from there to where I... I know that I enjoy writing and I know that I enjoy, there are very few things that, that make me happier than when, when someone unsolicited says that something that I was able to create helped them. And it doesn't happen that often. For those of you that <laughs> don't know about writing and, and authoring, there's a lot of crickets at the beginning. And so it's very few and far between that you actually get unsolicited feedback from somebody that you didn't know bought your book or, or read your stuff. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, yeah, and it's nice to meet you. I, I read this thing and it really helped me through this thing. I'll tell you what, the, that alone will keep you going. There have been there have been six months at a time where I don't hear a thing and somebody says something like that. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to keep doing this. So, you know, it might sound vain or big headed, but we do things because they help other people and because they impact other people. And whenever that happens, it feels good. So I'll continue to do it as long as I can either design pretty stuff that helps or put my words into good sentences. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think it's actually the exact opposite of being vain. You're giving because you're writing for the person on the other side of the page, you know, selfish would be writing it totally for yourself, which you probably wouldn't find a whole lot of success in that, you know, our joys in life come from sharing with other people and helping to make the world a better place and improving, helping someone else's life. So 
that's probably where your success comes from is because you're not writing it for yourself. So everyone reading it, I'm sure has thank yous for that. Thank you. And your writing is highly entertaining. I'm reading your blog. It was great. And I really laughed hysterically when you <laughs> talked about how many pairs of underwear do you actually need, dude? And it's so funny because I've had this conversation with people, men, women, it doesn't matter. Most of the time it's women, but like for me, I can travel six weeks or six months. It doesn't matter out of the same carry on suitcase, but I will have 20 pair of underwear in there. It just happens. It's like, it doesn't matter. I can't, I'm like, but there's no pun intended, but there's a lot of buts when it comes to packing that bag. So I found that hysterical that you, you know, started out your story of paring down your life, but how many pairs of underwear do you need to? (laughs) That's really, that's really funny because there's articles that I go back to and that was, that was right at the beginning. And there are other articles I go back to and I'm like, oh my gosh, who wrote this? Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not written very well compared to the standard I try to hold myself to these days. And I wonder, I'm like, who reads this stuff still? Does this even come up in search <laughs> engines or whatever? But, but no, that's really fun to hear that you read that. And it, and it does crack me up because I look at some of those articles and I'm just like, <laughs> who writes like this? And I'm like, oh yeah, you do, <laughs> idiot. No, that was true. And I think in that article, I also pointed out that my mom had 15 spatulas because I took a picture of them all out on the counter. And I looked at her, I was like, mom, what's happening here? Like, this is, <laughs> this is part of the problem. You don't need this many, like pare it down to four, maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, you know, when we really start evaluating those things, the wants versus the needs are, are where we have to, you know, if we want these major changes in our lives, we have to address the wants and the needs and what are the true wants, what are the true needs and what's in between that we still choose to have because they are our creature comforts, the pleasures that we need, the things that can keep us going. But, you know, there's a lot of fluff in the lives of most Americans that that can go away. And if they think that their life is too expensive, there's likely ways to pare those things down to give them a little bit more freedom. That's, you started yeah. with my underwear and that's where I ended that conversation. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's great. And he with the fewest things is freest, right? And it was always my, you know, because when you're on the road, you see people and sometimes they just have these ginormous backpack and then they have like they're the the turtles moving through the world you know and I've been there done that don't get me wrong like I've had a lot of things in my bag at times it's very you know like you don't ever get to the things in the bottom since I've refined that over the years but my rule of thumb is if you can't get on public transportation you've got too much stuff because you have to be able to easily navigate the the escalators the sheer volume of people the shared public spaces, you know, you just, it becomes too much to manage and it takes the fun out of it and the joy where you're just like lugging this crap around all the time. So yeah, paring down is a good rule of thumb anywhere in life, I think. So we are, yeah, getting close to time. So I would like to ask you because moving around and to, well, actually I have two questions. So First is, how do you pick where you would like to go next? And yeah, just start with that. What's your process? Do you, do you what's your accommodation choice or preferences? And, and how do you decide where to go? So the answer from two or three years ago is still the same answer is when you haven't been very many places, hmm. it's pretty easy to pick. 
you go to a new place, you try and figure out a new place. So currently that is my preferred answer is I'm going to look for someplace new and try and keep broadening my horizons because eventually I may want to find a home base, whether it's, you know, somewhere in the U.S. or more than likely outside the U.S., where that might be my new my new epicenter to travel from. But I haven't visited enough places to know what my soul wants. So, so my answer is I try to travel to new places. Oaxaca, Mexico, where I'm at right now, I haven't been here in five years. This I went that first trip whenever I bought the one-way ticket. I went to Mexico City for a week. There were some very Mexico City is great. A lot of people love it. I happen to have two experiences within an hour of each other that had to do with other people having some pretty big misfortunes. And I was like, okay, you know, this is definitely not my jam. I ended up in Oaxaca next. And it just, the feeling here is so my vibe and the right size. Another thing that I talk about that a lot of people need to figure out for, to help them is what do you want in a destination? Do you like big cities? Do you like small cities? Do you like oceans? Do you like mountains? Like really start to pay attention to those things. I've defined what I really, what really makes me a conducive place for me. So I'm back here for two months because I just wanted to come back and it's everything that I thought it was going to be. But so the accommodations that I typically look for are based on my needs, because if, you know, I have to work 40 plus hours a week, whether it's my website or whether it's making money hours to dollars to pay the bills, because you know, my books aren't doing it. I still have to work 40, 45 hours a week. So number one, I have to be able to work. So it have to, has a conducive environment for working. The unfortunate reality is there has to be good medical facilities or care or something that I can get to. And that's just the reality of my world. And then price cost is the next biggest thing. So I say that, but you know, my life really costs around $2,000 a month. Most places that I go, because the longer you can stay in a place, the more you, you save on long-term accommodations, the more you can go grocery shopping and cook meals and just, you know, live like a local and, and do those things which which aren't that expensive in a lot of countries. Not obviously everybody understands your arbitrage for the fact that the US dollar tends to do fairly well in other places. But when you factor in plane flights and things like that, you know, maybe a little bit more budget. So anyways, later this year, I'm going to Bansko, Bulgaria for two months. I've never been to Bulgaria. I've never been to Western Europe or the Balkans, but I've wanted to go there. And I'm going to Bansko for two months and just, I got an apartment there for $500 a month, two bedroom apartment on the third floor with mountain views. And there's some good co-working spaces nearby. So I know that I have the things that I need. I have bright light. I have a desk that I can work and write at. And I have immediate community in those co-working spaces where I can go meet people and socialize. And then I have nature, which is very important to me with you know my love of hiking and being outside. So all of those things are typically part of the equation whenever I pick a spot. And whenever I overlook one of those things, it almost never goes well. And that's why it's so important for everybody to figure out what they really do want, not what other people tell you you want when you go to a place. If they say, go to, go to Spain, you know, oh, you got to go to Barcelona, you got to go to Madrid. No, they should be asking you, what kind of places do you like? Well, I like smaller places with, you know, not a lot of traffic and stuff like that. Oh, well, then you would never tell them to go to Barcelona or Madrid. You'd tell them to go to Sevilla or, or Cordoba or something like that. So, you know, take ownership over what your heart and your mind and your soul is saying and not what the external forces are telling you and really, you know, pay attention to those things whenever you make your choices. Yeah, I think that's really important advice because, 
you know, there are things that you really need. And, and that's, again, just coming into personal awareness. You know, what, what are the things that are important for your lifestyle at the, at the moment? And again, those things change, but for the moment, you have to know what you need. And I love that you're in Oaxaca. Oaxaca is the place that's calling to me at the moment. It's been calling to me for a little while. I haven't, not kind of, I just put it in the, you know, sort of the back burner, but the number of people I keep meeting, they're like, oh, Oaxaca. I'm like, I hear you, universe. I hear, I am receive the message. So yeah. it's got surf, it's got you know, good food, it's got like all of my favorite things. So <laughs> yeah, so it's next. I'll be here for a couple months, so maybe I'll see you. Okay, cool. (laughs) I like to ask people about their morning routines because you're obviously very self-aware. So I would imagine you, you know, kind of try and start your day with a particular way, or maybe you don't, but it is something that is interesting how people remain grounded in a life that is nomadic. So what are your practices and and what do you do? This is a really interesting question because People have commented on my morning rituals here. So all of my friends back in the States that I tend to travel around to, I always make the coffee the night before so that it's ready in the morning. I can either turn it on or it's actually started because I function on coffee. And I've been told that I'm a, a better person when I have my coffee. Let's put it, <laughs> put it. So actually this morning, last night was the first time in this co-living space that I went ahead and made this giant that they have these huge things of coffee because there's 20 or 30 people that work here. And I wake up at about 530 right now. About a month ago, I stopped drinking due to some health issues. And for the first week, I was like, I don't feel this whole amazingness that everybody talks about when you stop drinking. I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not like on fire pinging all over the place, but a month, a month into it, I can say that I feel very good. And my body is doing really good things. Like I'm actually waking up earlier on my own. I'm not exhausted when I got out of bed. So I've been waking up at about 530. I have my coffee. I try and take it a little bit slow because that's, you know, part of building an intentional life is to slow down and smell the roses and enjoy what you're doing. So to immediately rush into work is something I don't try and do, but I typically I'll have my coffee and hang out, hang out here. I will usually start writing around 6.30 or 6 o'clock, 6.30 and get some work done. And then I typically work, you know, six or seven hours a day, six days a week minimum. And then I squeak some time in here and there. But but what my day looks like, and I, I kind of do want to do some of those, what does your day look like Instagrams? Because it does change oh, regularly. Yeah. But But my days here, it is do some work. We have yoga classes here at 7.30 every morning during the week. So most days I will take advantage of that. If not, I'll do yoga later on. But essentially in the middle of the day, I have on my schedule, go walk around and have lunch and study my Spanish. So I put on Spanish in my ear and I go walk around for about 45 minutes. I find some place to eat for lunch if I want to eat out for lunch that day. And that's how I try and get my Spanish learning in, but also make sure that I'm not sitting in my chair, just working my life away. And then, you know, I try and wrap up towards the evening or towards four or five in the afternoon and, and start to socialize, interact. There's a lot of, you know, with these co-living spaces, two or three days a week, there's family dinners in the kitchen and people hanging out. Or, you know, we went on a bike ride the other day with 12 people to go see one of the landmarks or, you know, people are traveling out of town two hours on Saturday to go see Yerba del Agua, which is a, a water feature of a little ways from here. <laughs> so for me, I can flex my schedule and move my schedule around at, at my whim for the most part, because that's how I've designed my freelance and contract billable stuff. 
And yeah, so that's kind of how I'm rolling right now. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that is early, 530. <laughs> I would imagine you might have the place to yourself at 530 in the morning. I mean, so, it's co-working so that, space, but yeah. <laughs> well, that was the conversation that people keep commenting on is everybody keeps either complaining or, or thankful that I'm always the first one up because some people, I think they had the trophy for first ones up and then they kept getting like, you, you beat me up, you beat me waking up today. I'm like, I'm not racing. I just happen to be awake and it's like, I might as well you know, start the day. So. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And no alcohol helps with that. You know, like it really helps, does give clarity, but the results are not immediate. So it definitely, you don't even realize that. And, you know, there's many, many long periods of time where I I haven't drank anything. And it's like, then if you drink and then you, you know, you just, it really, one drink affects your neck the next morning, how you feel. So it's an interesting to completely cut it out feels really good. So, well, and again, it's not by choice and I do miss the, you know, I'm a, I'm an introverted person. So there's something to be said for, you know, breaking down some of those barriers, whether that's a crutch or not, it's just a reality. And so I do miss it, but what I've done to replace it is I actually just ordered with a, a local Mexican woman who makes her own kombuchas and I've tried three or four kombuchas here and hers are just to die for. So I found her on Instagram. I just texted her and I said, can I order a bunch of this stuff? So I'm getting like three liters of local made kombucha in a day or two. And so that's what I now enjoy when everybody else is, you know, hanging out in the evenings, doing their thing. I'm kind of switching up saying, all right, if this is going to be my life for the moment, then let's make the best of it and figure and actually put some time into figuring out how can I balance what was the old thing of socializing and what is my new thing of socializing and make that okay with me because you know, sometimes we can't control the things that have to happen in our lives, but we might as well make the best of it. So. Yeah, it's part of the evolution, right? Yeah. Well, Jason, this has been fabulous. And so could you tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, the easiest place is probably on Instagram. Three words, the nomad experiment. Same with the website, the nomad experiment.com. Those are the places where I'm usually hanging out. Okay, cool. And we'll link everything in the show notes. And this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. And enjoy Oaxaca. I can't wait to get there. (laughs) Yeah, can't can't wait to hang out with you one of these days. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. All right, thanks. I enjoyed my conversation with Jason so much. He is someone who has created a life that is fully intentional. He managed to cut through the noise and figure out what it is that he desires most in life. And he's doing it. He's living the life and he has created the life of his dreams. And what he's doing is so admirable. And here are the key takeaways. It's all about progress, not perfection and movement over stagnation. So the small step you start today will end up creating a massive shift towards your goal, desired lifestyle, or dream. Number two, most of the things you've already done, you can do again. Life is an experiment. So try things out, take the chance, book the trip, and live your dreams. You are allowed to change your mind anywhere along the way. Number three. Don't grow up into a grumpy old man with a secondhand perception of the world. Go see for yourself and make up your own mind. Number four, 
Play it safe because accidents happen. Be realistic. Get travel health insurance. You won't ever regret having it when you discover you all of a sudden have a need for it. Number five, how many pair of underwear do you really need, dude? Paring down life to what you really need allows for more freedom across the board, whether financially, physically, or mentally. Less equals more. Thank you so much for showing up and listening to this episode. I know that there are so many things in life that you could be doing right now. And so it means a lot to me that you're here. There are so many more episodes coming your way. So if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to review and follow us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who might like to hear it, please share. Those little acts of kindness mean a lot and help more than you know. I appreciate your time and getting the opportunity to share this moment. I'd love to hear more from you. I'd love to connect. So reach out on social. You can find me on Instagram at seafaringwanderer. That's S-E-A-F-A-R-I-N-G-W-A-N-D-E-R-E-R. And then you can join our Facebook group at Design Her Travel Podcast. I would love to connect, hear more from you. Let me know what you'd like to hear more of, places you'd like to hear about, and things you'd like to know how to do when designing your life. So thank you, everyone, and I'll be back soon.